It's great to see the hat tricks this morning. Colin, Kara, good to have you and your family here. I don't know if you know the transition that has taken place in the Hattrick's life in the last little while, and I'm not talking about them having more and more kids because that seems to keep happening, but um, Colin resigned his position a while ago, uh, if I have this all right, uh, in the process of resigning. I think he's done with all of that, and he is working with an organization called Lifeline, which works with Churches of Christ and Christian churches around North America uh, and other places in the world to do various works, and so they do work in Central America, and they do work in Canada, and uh, Colin's working full-time with them. So you might want to talk to Colin even about that this morning. I know that, that uh, if, if, I was in, if I was in Colin's shoes, I would be looking for support for my position. And so I would uh, encourage you to talk to Colin maybe this morning about that. There's two things I want you to do here at the beginning Uh, of our time together during the sermon, and they both have to do with writing some things down. I want you to take a piece of note paper that is in the back of the pew in front of you, and you probably will find a pen there, but perhaps if not, you'll find another pen somewhere. And I want you to do this. Jesse, could you move that forward for me? Again, there we go. This may not be working this morning. I don't know. Anyway, write down the three sins in your life that grieve you the most. Now, if they're really heinous, you may want to move several feet away from somebody sitting next to you. You might want to cover that up. But I want you to write down three sins in your life that grieve you the most. Eyes on your own paper, people. (laughs) And I'm going to give you a few moments to do this. I was standing in the shower this morning. I thought, what would I write down? And I had about six that came to me immediately. (laughs) It was a bad scene. There's three sins in your life that grieve you the most. If you're still thinking you are purer than I, if you're having that much trouble, well, we'll move on and something may come to you, like unwillingness to think about your own sin or something. <laughs> the second thing that I want you to do is at the bottom of the paper or somewhere, I want you to answer this question. Have you been forgiven for these sins, including the one on your list about which you feel the most guilt? Have you been forgiven for these sins, including the one on your list about which you feel the most guilt? Yes or no? And I probably spent a little bit more time on this than you might have thought I would. But I didn't want this to be especially easy this morning. Like, we could have just picked one. I could have said, pick your worst sin, write it down on the piece of paper, and probably all of you would have had something immediately come to mind, you would have written that down. But I wanted you to stop and think for a moment about your sinfulness, and maybe pick three. And again, like you may, if you're like me, you could have thought of six real fast. Because it's important that you wrestle with the depth of, of your sinfulness 
and not just give a quick answer. Because this is more serious than we sometimes think it is. And unfortunately, we don't reflect enough on this the way that we should. Now, I want you to turn, if you would, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, verse 36. It's on page 731 in the Pew Bibles. Luke 7:36, page 731. And I want us to read the story of the sinful woman who anoints Jesus. But while we're reading this, there is something also that I want you to do. There are three people in this story that the Pharisee does not adequately understand or of whom he wrongly thinks. So he thinks wrongly about three people or he doesn't adequately understand three people in the story. I want you to think about who they are as I read through this with you together here, okay? Who are the three that the Pharisee doesn't get? Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, which would have been standard procedure. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So who are those that Simon, the Pharisee, doesn't get? And in what ways does he not get these people? Well, the first one I would say is pretty obvious. The first one, obviously, is the woman. But the problem with this woman is not that he inaccurately thinks of her as a sinner, for the fact is he has accurately judged her 
the text says that she was a sinful woman. Now, we theorize all the time about exactly what she had done. We theorize exactly who she was. The fact is we don't know. A lot of people assume this is Mary Magdalene. A lot of people assume that she was a prostitute, all those kinds of things. The text says none of that. We actually don't know. And there aren't a lot of helpful passages in other places. So you can't just automatically transfer something that we know from some other gospel about some other story and say, well, this is obviously this person. We just don't know. From her reaction to Jesus, weeping, wiping his feet with her tears, pouring expensive perfume on them, clearly she's a sinner. That's obvious. The text says that she's a sinner. But clearly, too, this woman had to have had some kind of prior contact with Christ. She didn't just walk into the room, see this guy, and all of a sudden start acting this way. Instead, there's been some kind of communication. She has heard Jesus preach about forgiveness and felt forgiven by him. Or she might be one of those people, those untold hundreds of people about which we know nothing, who came up to Jesus maybe in a marketplace and said something to him, and Jesus, knowing this person, forgave her on the spot. So maybe she's just one of those people in the Bible of which we hear nothing else. There are probably hundreds, if not thousands of people like that, that Jesus met and had conversations with, and the Bible records nothing about it. So we don't know much about her, except that she is a sinner, that she knows she is a sinner, and that she is immensely grateful for the forgiveness that she has received. We also know that Jesus loves her, and that she loves Jesus in response to to the forgiveness of her sins. But something about Simon prevents her from seeing who she really is. So that's the first person that Simon seems to not get. I'm not sure that we totally get her, but Simon certainly doesn't. The second person is Jesus. Simon does not understand Jesus. Again, the text is so clear about this. He seems to be thinking that Jesus should be like him. Jesus is traveling around. He's a teacher. He's a rabbi. The Pharisees were teachers. Not all of them were rabbis, but many were. They were in a kind of rabbinic class. They knew the law well. They searched out the scriptures to find out what was true. They wanted to know what was sinful and what wasn't sinful. And Simon was one of those. So he's a holy man, a teacher of the things of God. But he doesn't get Jesus. Why isn't Jesus judging this woman? Why doesn't Jesus have the same kind of attitude as those other teachers of the law, the rabbis? Well, surely he can't be a prophet if he's going to allow this woman to touch him. He can't be from God. He certainly can't be Messiah. And so Simon is in a position intellectually that prevents him from hearing who Jesus really is. He can't begin to see things straight when it comes to Christ. Well, we get like this sometimes. We get an idea into our heads about something that even though the facts are staring us in the face, we can't see it. I've told the story before about the time that I was walking through the foyer in Victoria and I was distracted. I I looked down the hallway as I got ready to go downstairs, but something was going on down at the end of the hallway and I looked and it was a lady in our church and she was 
unmercilessly chewing out my son Adam. He was about six. And she was letting him have it. Adam Carter, right in his face. And the whole time, her son, who was about a year younger than Adam, was at her leg, tugging at her pants and going, Mommy, Adam didn't do it. Mommy, Adam didn't do it. Mommy, Adam didn't do it. And I'm standing at the end of the hallway watching all this, and she's just chewing Adam out. And the whole time her son is trying to tell her that Adam didn't do it. Now, I don't know what this problem, the problem with this lady was. It might be that uh, she thought all preacher's kids were bad, and therefore he had to have done it. She might have, uh, she might have heard me lambasting the congregation last week for some sin that she was guilty of, and she was going to take it out on my son the next. I don't know what was going on there, but this lady could not hear her own son tugging at her leg, explaining to her that my son wasn't guilty. So keep that in mind. My children were perfect. Well, sometimes we're like that. The facts are staring us in the face and we simply ignore the realities. And I think that is especially the case when it comes to our own sinfulness. And in this case, we have a guy who simply refuses to see who he really is. And he also seems to not figure out who Jesus is. I think again, probably because, well, not probably, because of his own sinfulness. Maybe he's jealous because Jesus is a better rabbi. Maybe he's jealous because Jesus is getting all the attention. I don't know what all is going on in Simon's mind. Maybe his father treated him poorly. So he can't treat others well. It's hard to say. What I do know is that Simon doesn't get Jesus, even though the facts about Jesus are staring him in the face. And so Simon doesn't get the woman, I think probably more than anything because of who he is. He doesn't get Jesus, and I think maybe more than anything because of who he is. Which leads me to the third person he doesn't get in the story, which by now should be painfully obvious to all of us. But my question is, is it? Do you get it? Who is the third person in the story that Simon doesn't get? Simon. Of course. Simon doesn't understand or get himself. And specifically... His sinfulness. He's missed it. Whether it's because of his upbringing, his so-called understanding of the law, or whatever it is, Simon doesn't get himself. He doesn't see who he really is. And that is, in fact, the real question for the morning. What is it that allows a Pharisee, someone who worked very hard in his own life not to sin, making it a practice to try and identify even the smallest of sins, which the Jews were to avoid, what makes it possible for him to feel about this woman the way that he does? What makes it possible for him to absolutely misunderstand Jesus? 
And I would say because ultimately all his misunderstandings come down to the same thing, a misunderstanding of himself. Is it not his own self-righteousness that prevents him from seeing others? Is it not his own lack of remorse over his own sins? And Simon is simply unable to see himself for who he really is. And, And with this, unfortunately... There is a tremendous problem. Because if Simon doesn't see this in his own life, if he doesn't see the depth of his own sinfulness, he cannot begin to feel either the depths of Christ's forgiveness, because he thinks he's sinless, nor can he understand the kind of forgiveness and love that Jesus has for others And that Simon himself is supposed to have for others. He can't begin to get it if he doesn't sense the depth of his own sinfulness and feel the depths of God's forgiveness for him. How can he possibly think of others the way that he should? Several years ago, in fact, 30 years ago now that I think about it, because it was in 1987, I was on a plane flying from Harare to Victoria Falls. And between Harare and Victoria Falls in Zimbabwe is a a kind of a high, hot plain. And I was on a high, hot plain. And while we were going that distance, because of all the thermals, I suppose, the plane was constantly bouncing. And so the whole time, we're like this, flying along. And I don't know how long the flight was. In fact, we went from Harare to... uh, Oh, where was it? Gwemby, someplace. I can't remember another little place we stopped at. And, and then we went on to Victoria Falls. And the whole time, both flights, the plane is like, is like this, up and down and up and down. And, I, and we had been, Steve Mann and I had been traveling for a couple of days, going through London. We were both tired, we were exhausted. We hadn't had all the, the food probably to eat that we needed. Probably weren't as hydrated as, as well as we should be, whatever. And I got sick on the plane. And, you know, there's a, there's a bag in front of you on the back of the seat. Fortunately, even in... Zimbabwe, they had those bags. So I reached in and I pulled out the bag and I used it. And Steve Mann looked at me after I had used the bag and he looked at me and he said, at least you can barf. And I knew exactly what he meant. Because after you had that experience, there is a kind of cleansing. I was light-hearted in comparison to how I'd been a few moments ago. There was a relief that took place when I expelled the things that were in my stomach. But Steve, sitting right next to me and having the exact same experience, couldn't do that for whatever reason. The poor guy, he couldn't barf. And so he just sat there miserable. And that's exactly the way we are when we refuse to acknowledge our own sin. That's what happens when we can't get it out. It's what happens when we think that we're better than we are. All this nasty stuff just stays inside. And you know, when you've got all that nastiness inside, it starts to affect the attitude you have toward other people. And pretty soon, you're evaluating them and judging them for things that you yourself might well do. 
but you have an attitude of self-righteousness or haughtiness or arrogance or whatever it is because you fail to admit just how sinful you actually are. And it is time for some of us in our lives to do a little bit of upjucking when it comes to our sinfulness. It's time for us to recognize that there are things in our lives that we need to take care of. Now, at the beginning, I wanted you to do this. I wanted you to write down the three sins in your life that grieve you the most. We could have stopped there. If, if the point of this sermon this morning was acknowledge your sinfulness, recognize just how bad you really are. If that was the whole point of the sermon, we could have stopped right there. Well, that's crucial. That's important. I hope you do that. But there's a whole lot more that we need to think about and certainly more in this story this morning. And that's because of this. Those who are judgmental, the merciless, are simply those who do not realize the depths of their sinfulness and then, correspondingly, the depth of Christ's forgiveness of the depth of their sins. And this is so important for us to get. Because you can't begin to stop being judgmental and to love others like you should until you see your own sinfulness. In fact, Jesus would say that you are like a man who has a log in his eye trying to get the speck out of somebody else's eye. And because of that, you cannot see. But in addition, you have... Additionally, you cannot have the log removed by pulling on it yourself. It is only the powerful mercy and grace of Christ that can remove your eye, can remove the log from your eye. Do you see that? If there is a log in your eye, you cannot remove it. You need help. People don't get logs in their eyes and then just pull them out. But until you pull it out, you can't see. And so it's very important that in addition to the first question that we ask that second question again, have you been forgiven for these sins? Including the one on your list about which you feel the most, guilt. Because unless you're forgiven of that one, unless you understand the depth of your sin and your guilt and then have it removed, my sense is that you will remain judgmental forever in fact I would say that it is those who have been forgiven much who love their fellow sinners and the fact is that sinners need our love and you cannot love them the way that you should until you have received from God that kind of forgiveness And so if you haven't been forgiven, you cannot think about Jesus as you should. And if you haven't been forgiven, you can't think about yourself the way that you should. In fact, I want you to notice something about this passage. I want you to look first at verse 43. Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. And I kind of want to say to Simon, you suppose? 
You think maybe? Duh. But Simon wrestled with that. He wrestles with what to do with this story, which is so piercing. Because he can't entirely see things when he has a log in his own eye. And then I want you to notice verses 48 through 50. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Notice the contrast between the woman and then Simon and his guests. Who is this who even forgives sins, they say. And while they may be on the road, they're a long ways from understanding who Jesus is. While the woman who has receiven, receiven, who has received from Christ forgiveness, clearly gets him. And Jesus can say to her, your sins are forgiven. And what's the rest of it? Go in peace. And it's that peace that Simon doesn't have. It's that peace that his guests don't yet get. And that the woman gets. Because she has received the power of mercy and forgiveness. And because she gets it, we don't get the rest of the story here. But I can only imagine that she is the one person ready to go and to forgive others. Because of what she understands Jesus has done for her. And so the power of mercy is that grace and forgiveness through Christ, when we receive it, that allows us to think of others and to even think of ourselves as we should. And knowing who we really are, forgiven sinners in Christ, that we're forgiven even of the deepest of our sins. It's only in that that we can find any kind of peace. And a peace that even allows us to go and be free from the judgment of others. So sometime in the next 15 minutes or hour or two hours or days, you're going to find yourself thinking some judgmental thought about somebody else. I know you well enough. You will. And so why? And when that happens, I hope that your judgment is somehow right and true and good and not grounded in your own self-righteousness, in which case it is not well and good. How will you, being transformed by your forgiveness and mercy and grace in Christ, affect your judgment so that your judgment is transformed into compassion and love just as Jesus loves you? That needs to happen for all of us. Let's pray.
Lord, uh, lots of us have written down on a piece of paper this morning sins in our lives. And God, I pray that all of us who recognize our sinfulness this morning can also sense and, and bask in your forgiveness. And God, what we want is for that sense of forgiveness in ourselves of being forgiven by you, we want that to transform our attitudes. Help us as those who recognize the depth of our sinfulness and then who receive your forgiveness to respond to others in a way that reflects all that transformed heart in us that you have created. So I pray, God, that by your Spirit, you would free us from our sins and free us from our judgmental attitudes in the process. Help us to view others as we should. And I'm just so grateful, God, for the way in which your mercy and grace, which is so powerful, works this miracle of transformation in our hearts. Help us to see others in light of that transformation. And help us to start even today to rid ourselves of attitudes that oftentimes have been harsh and judgmental. Help us always to receive your forgiveness. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen.